Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you for bringing us together this morning on your holy Shabbat that we can encounter you, that we can uh, interact with you, and that we can receive from you. Father, I pray that you move mightily and powerfully in our midst today, that you speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, and that you have your way. I pray that your words come forth, that it be you speaking and your words heard and received, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. Uh, today we are on in Parsha, uh, it's a double Parsha, Parsha Nitzavim and Vayelech. Uh, actually, Parsha Vayelech is my uh, Haftor or my Torah Parsha from my Bar Mitzvah years ago. Um, so it's always fun. I I was uh, kind of, I guess, lucky, you might say, in having one of the shortest uh, Torah partial uh, for my bar mitzvah. It's one chapter, and it's like 30 verses, 28 verses, something like that. So uh, I got away with murder on my bar mitzvah, whereas most people have five, six chapters uh, that they've got to deal with. So um, I'm really thankful for that. But uh, we're, we're going to actually focus more in Parsha Nitzavim, the first portion uh, uh, of our double parshot this week. Uh, Parsha Nitzavim is kind of the closing out, if you would, of the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy, uh, uh, the latter part of Deuteronomy uh, 27, 28, 29, and then 30. And there's so much here that's just so powerful. And I think personally so uh, pertinent to us as believers that we need to grasp, we need to, to wrap our heads around, we need to, to really wrestle with and take part with. Um, so if you would, and uh, open up your scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 29, uh, beginning with verse 9. That's the beginning of the Parsha. Deuteronomy 29, beginning with verse 9. It says, You are standing today, all of you, before Adonai your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, and the outsiders within your camp. From your wood chopper to your water carrier, each of you is to cross over into the covenants of Adonai your God that he is cutting with you today and into his oath. This is in order to confirm you today as his people, so he will be your God just as he promised to you, just as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Not with you alone am I cutting this covenant and oath, but with whomever is standing here with us today before Adonai your God, and with whomever is not here with us today. As we look at this, this is at the shores of the Jordan River. This is the second generation of Israel preparing to cross the Jordan River, preparing to go into the promised land, preparing to enter into the reality of the promises of God as he has laid out before them, as he has told our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would give to us. This is a generation that uh, for the most part were born in the wilderness. Uh, and one of the things that I think is so interesting about these words being spoken to the second generation of Israel rather than the first generation is the first generation came out of slavery in Egypt, right? They were used to relying on their slave masters in order to have provision and sustenance. They were used to depending on other people to provide for them. But the second generation never knew that. All they knew was the Lord's provision in the wilderness. All they knew was every morning they woke up and there was manhu, there was manna on the ground. 
uh, that they could collect to make bread from and, and such. They knew that their sandals and their clothing never wore out. They knew that they didn't get sick because the Lord provided. They knew they had water daily because the Lord provided. All they knew was the Lord's provision. They didn't know anything else. They didn't know how to depend on somebody else. And so here these words the Lord is standing as speaking to the second generation as they prepare to cross the Jordan River. And he says, you are standing today, all of you before Adonai, your God, the heads of your tribes, the elders, your officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, and the outsiders within your camp. Uh, each of you is to cross over into the covenant of Adonai, your God, that he is cutting with you today and into his oath. He doesn't say, I'm speaking to the men of Israel. He doesn't say, I'm speaking to only those who are of the priesthood. He doesn't say, I'm speaking only to the warriors. He says, I'm speaking to all of you, your men, your women, your children, your old people, your young people, your foreigners living among you, those who have attached themselves with you. And then he says, and each of you, it's an individual responsibility, each of you are to cross over into the covenant. And the word there for cross over is aver, is the root word. And aver is where we get the word ivri or Hebrew. So when we talk about Abraham being the first Hebrew, the first Ever, he was the first one to cross over into the covenant of Adonai. And so he's speaking to the second generation of Israel, the second generation of what I believe to be a mixed multitude. I don't believe, as some of the sages and rabbis of old would like us to accept, that at leading up to Mount Sinai, somehow miraculously the, the mixed multitude that left Egypt with Israel to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as Exodus says, I don't believe that they just kind of forked off and went their own route, as uh, some of the rabbis and sages of old would like to say. I believe that the mixed multitude became Israel, and that this mixed multitude who was Israel stood here in this covenant. That doesn't mean that Jews stopped being Jewish or the Gentiles suddenly became Jewish. They became part of the root and fatness of the olive tree, as Moses talks, or I'm sorry, as Paul talks about in Romans, they became a part of the commonwealth of Israel. And we know, you know, traditionally speaking, if somebody converts to Judaism and rabbinic Judaism today, if you convert to Judaism, by the third generation of your descendants that have walked in the Jewish faith, they then are considered to be blood Israel, blood Jews. They are then considered to be literally Jews as anyone born of Judaism. As a matter of fact, within Judaism, especially Orthodox Judaism, there's a certain degree of greater respect given to a convert to Judaism than one who was born and raised in Judaism. Because I didn't have a choice to be Jewish. My family was Jewish. I didn't have an option. So I can try and run from it all I want, but I don't have an option. I'm Jewish. That's all there is to it. But somebody who attaches themselves to Israel, somebody who chooses to take the uh, pain and anguish of a world that hates the Jewish people, somebody that chooses to take on the responsibility of Jewish life and practice, they get a greater respect within the nation of the, the Jewish people because of the fact that they, didn't, they weren't born into it. They made the choice to take this craziness upon themselves. They made the choice to take on all of the outside hatred and pressure that goes along with it. They made the choice to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was born into the covenant. I didn't have a choice. Now, obviously, I'm a believer in Messiah. There is a degree of choice that absolutely goes into it. But that's talking about Messiah. Being part of the covenant, I was born into it. I had no option. I couldn't change my mind once I go around it. I can try and leave Judaism. I'm still part of the covenant. There's no way to get around it. And the reality is, is being part of the covenant and living outside of the covenant means that I am then taking on the responsibility of the curses that come along with the covenant. And I don't have a choice but to take either the blessing or the curses. I can either walk faithfully with the Lord or I can walk outside of faithfulness with the Lord. 
Both have their consequences. One is good and one is bad. But that's my life. That's what I was born into. And I'm thankful I was because then I don't have to deal with all the extra arguments that go with it. I don't have to explain to my, uh, my, my family in the church of why I'm involved in Messianic Judaism and why they shouldn't think it's so weird and da-da-da. I don't have to deal with all that. I have other issues like I get to deal with the fact that I have to constantly know I'm still Jewish even though I believe in Yeshua. It's okay, don't worry. Um, but, but that's, I think, a little bit of an easier argument. But what we see here is the Lord says it's an individual, independent responsibility to cross over, to become an aver, to cross over into the covenant with the Lord, right? And we see the same reality with salvation, right? Yeshua poured out his blood so that all may be saved, but there's a personal and individual responsibility to accept that blood atonement, right? It's free for all, but not all are going to be a part of it because we have to take that choice in spite of the notion of predestination and so on that, you know, you have no choice. You're going to, you got predestined for some to be saved and some not. It's just not scriptural. Because if that's the case, then the Lord doesn't really mean what he says when he says, I love all my creation. It's just not possible. So we have a personal responsibility. And then he goes on to say, verse 13, not with you alone am I cutting this covenant and this oath, but with whomever is standing here with us today before Adonai our God, and with whomever is not here with us today. This doesn't mean that there may have been a few dudes that were out on detail watch, you know, watch detail around the camps of Israel protecting them. It's not talking about something like that. He's talking about this is a, a covenant I am cutting today with you that are standing here before us, and with every generation that comes after you. With every generation that comes after you, this covenant is eternal. It's not just with you, but it is with everyone who is to come after you. And there's a degree of, of choice, a necessity for a degree of choice that goes into it. Verse 18, now when someone hears the words of this oath in his heart, considers himself blessed. In other words, like I just said, I didn't have a choice but to be Jewish. That's how I was born. There's no way to get around it. If I come into this and I have this mentality of shalom, peace will be mine, even though I walk in stubbornness of, of my heart. In other words, I'm Jewish. I'm good. I don't have to worry about anything, right? And there are those that think that, that because they're Jewish, they don't ever have to worry about it, right? There's, there's even a, a mild theology that is trying to uh, slither its way into the outskirts of Messianic Judaism that says that Jews are saved by the Abrahamic covenant. They have no responsibility or necessity to accept the blood atonement of Messiah, that they can if they want to, but there's no responsibility. The blood atonement is really for the Gentiles. I have a real hard time with that because when I read the Bible, it specifically says there is only one way to the Father, and that's through Messiah. There's no other way to get around that. And so he goes on here, he says, don't think that just because you were born blessed, that you were born into the covenant, that it's all you know, fine and dandy, you can do whatever you want. He says, thus uh, sweeping away the moist with the dry, Adonai will be, willing, uh, will be unwilling to forgive him, for then the anger of Adonai and his jealousy will smoke against this, that person. So all the oath that is written in this scroll will settle on him, speaking of the curses, and Adonai will blot out his name from under the heavens. Adonai will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity, according to all the oaths of the covenant written in the scroll of the Torah. And so he goes on to say, you know, he's talking and he says, do not become comfortable. Don't think that just because you're Jewish that you're all fine and dandy. In the same sense, don't think just because you said a prayer after somebody and accepted Messiah that all's fine and dandy. You don't have any responsibility for anything from that moment on. There is still a necessity for a walk of faith that comes along with it. Um, the, the word says you will know those that are saved by the fruit that they produce. If your life isn't producing fruit, what are people supposed to know about you? 
chapter 30, verse 1 goes on to say, Now when all these things have come upon you, both the blessing and the curse that I have set before you, and you take them to heart in all the nations where Adonai your God has banished you, and you return to Adonai your God and listen to his voice according to all that I am commanding you today, uh, you and all your children with all your heart and with all your soul, then Adonai your God will bring you back from ca captivity and have compassion on you, and he will return and gather you from the peoples uh, where Adonai has scattered you. And then he goes on to say, even if it was to the very ends of the world, I'll bring you back. Verse 6 says, Also Adonai your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. And so as we look at this, we realize that there's, there's power in these words. There's power in the reality that there's a personal responsibility in what we're doing here. But he says very distinctly, and, and this is one of my favorite parts of the Torah, is this one phrase, when time has come that both the blessings and the curses have come upon you, right? Which means that if the Lord's telling us that both the blessings and curses will come upon us, he's also telling us that there will be a period of time we walk in faithfulness and a period of time we walk outside of faithfulness with the Lord, right? And we see that in the history of Israel. That's exactly what happened. There was a period of time they did and a period of time they didn't. And the Lord says, when all of these calamities have come upon you, then I will, and you, you awaken and realize, hey, I'm in this spot because I walked away from the Lord, then I'll bring you back into myself because you will come back in full repentance and wholehearted repentance. And then I will circumcise your heart and then you will be able to love me with all your heart and with all your soul. In other words, that that hafta will become a reality once your heart is circumcised. Which is an interesting concept that until our heart is circumcised, we can't actually enact or interact with the words of Deuteronomy 6. Uh, the, the Shema the Vahafta, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, with the soul, with all your strength, requires a circumcision of the heart. Jeremiah 31 speaks specifically of that circumcision, the new covenant being written upon our heart as opposed to just on stone. And so what we see here is this reality, both the blessing and the curse, and we see almost a recounting of this very same concept in uh, uh, Chronicles, it's like Chronicles 7, uh, chapter 7 in general, right? 7.14 everybody loves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their land and so on, right? Everybody loves to quote that. I mean, I see them on yard signs all over the place, all the time, especially around political uh, elections and such. You see them all over the place, but nobody ever talks about the few verses before that. Anybody remember historically what is happening uh, leading up to the, the verse of 2 Chronicles 7.14? The, the temple's being built or rather being finished. It's already been finished, and they've had the dedication, and then immediately after the dedication, they celebrate Sukkot. The first thing to be celebrated in the temple was Sukkot. And they have this week-long, uh, really eight-day-long festival of Sukkot, and then at the end of the party, uh, Solomon has this whole dialogue in which he says, look, uh, everything's fine and wonderful and hunky-dory right now, but as awesome as it is right now, there will come a time where you're going to walk, and he becomes prophetic. There will come a time where you'll walk away from the Lord, and the Lord is going to do this to you. And if that doesn't get you to come back, then he's going to do this to you. And if that doesn't get you to come back, then he's going to do this to you. And then it's followed up with, and if my people who humble themselves will seek my face, pray, turn from their wicked ways, and so on. Uh, we see as this all progresses. Everybody likes to focus on what's after the word if. Nobody wants to focus on what's before. If we get to the point that we have to pray and seek his face and humble ourselves in a very real and intense way as it's spoken of in Second Chronicles 7, then that means we've already jacked things up so far beyond reality, so far beyond what the call of God was, that the only option we have left is just to be completely broken before him, right? 
And so there's this reality here in, in Deuteronomy 30 and, and again in 2 Chronicles 7. There's a reality that we have a choice to walk in faithfulness with the Lord. Even as believers, especially as believers. You know, a lot of times we like to look at the blessing. Oh, that's Israel's problem. You know, that's Israel's problem to, to honor the blessings and the curses, to walk in faithfulness with the covenant of the Lord and honor the Torah and so on. But the reality is, is as believers, we are equally as responsible, I would say even more so responsible, uh, to follow and honor the covenants of the Lord because we have gone beyond just being born Jewish or choosing to align ourselves with Israel, but instead we have taken the blood atonement of the promised Jewish Messiah, the Lord himself in flesh upon our own lives. He's washed away our sins and we have an even higher calling to live in faithfulness and to walk in righteousness and to lean upon his glory and his leading and his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit to live in faithfulness before him lest we see the reality of the blessings and the curses fall upon us. And anybody, and I don't care what you say, anybody that's ever walked in, in faith in Messiah, there are very distinct moments in our lives that I'm, I'm willing to bet even immediately as I speak, you can start to play through those in your head like a movie. There are distinct points in our lives where we know without a doubt we're walking outside the relationship and covenant with the Lord and we can see and feel the tangible effects on our life of such. Whether that's just feeling like we're engulfed in darkness or that's literally our entire lives falling down around our feet. When we are not in faithful relationship with the Lord, the blessing or the curses rather are a very real reality in our life. And we may not like to admit it. And one of the things that I've talked about in the past is that uh, the Lord doesn't promise he's going to physically put the curses on Israel. But instead, I believe that as we look through the blessings and curses, what the Lord says is when we walk in faithfulness, we see the blessings because the blessings are sustenance. It's provision. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you crazy rich. He says, I'm going to make sure you don't go hungry big difference doesn't mean he can't make you crazy rich but don't cleave to if i just follow this and this and this and this it's a magic formula to live in a seven thousand square foot house it doesn't work that way all right there, there's no magic formula to it unless you win the lottery and even that's questionable uh but as you go through all of this what we realize is the lord says if you walk faithfully with me all of these blessings will be yours you won't be hungry you'll have a roof over your head you'll have your you know healthy children and this and that and the other but if you don't walk faithfully with me all of the curses are just the 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 um the 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 reality of a blessing less life in other words all of the curses are just that you will be hungry and you will be without, and you will be homeless, and you will be in these kinds of ideas. In other words, everything's going to be miserable. And what we realize, and, and anybody that's ever tithed and believes in tithing, if you've ever gone through a short period in your life where you fell backward on that and weren't tithing properly, you can realize in your own life the realities, blessings, and curses. Because when we walk faithfully in tithing, it's amazing how things seem to get paid. And everything's in order and, and we don't really have the stress over it as much, right? That doesn't mean everything goes smoothly because it's still a fallen world. But things seem to all get met when it needs to get met. Um, but when we aren't tithing faithfully, when we aren't giving faithfully to the Lord, when we aren't walking in that, 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 uh, that, that covenant uh, with the Lord, we start to realize that everything seems to be falling apart. And then when we start tithing right again, we realize, hey, wait, even in those darkest moments when I wasn't tithing, when I wasn't being faithful, even in those points, the Lord still provided food and he still gave me a roof over my head and I still had, the ends got met. We just didn't recognize and see it. We didn't notice it happening. And it's the same thing with the other blessings and curses of Deuteronomy is the Lord says, look, if you just walk faithfully with me, here's all the blessings that's going to happen. He says, I'm going to take care of you forever. You don't have to worry about that. 
But here's all the blessings that are going to happen. But when you walk outside of my faithfulness, you're just not going to be able to see those blessings. When Israel was in Babylonian captivity, they still ate. They still had a roof over their head. When they were in Egypt in slavery, they still ate and they had a roof over their head. The provisions were there, but they couldn't see those provisions. They cried out to the Lord in their brokenness because it took becoming broken in order to see that there is wholeness and life found in the Lord. Verse 11 says, For this mitzvah, this commandment that I am commanding you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it too far off. <clears throat> it is not in the heavens that you should say, Who will go up for us to the heavens and get it for us and have, you, uh, have us hear it so we may do it? Nor is it across the sea that you should say, Who will cross over for us to the other side of the sea and get it for us and have us hear so, it, it, so that we may do it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart to do it. The covenant of circumcision of the heart is a literal placement of the word upon our hearts and our lives. It's not something that's foreign to us that we've got to go chase down some shaman somewhere in the mountains to tell us how to live righteously. It's right there before us. The reason the Deuteronomy 6, 4 or 6, 5, whatever, rather through verse 9, the Vahapta, the reason it says uh, that we are to bind it upon our hands and have it be frontless, as frontless between our eyes, I don't think it's to do with wrapping leather straps around our arms, although that's a great way to interact with that commandment. And I have uh, tefillin and, and so on. That's not to say that's a negative thing. But I think what the Lord really meant was this. The word of God should be bound on our hand and ever before our eyes. All right? It's not some foreign concept. It's not like we've got to be reaching out to some distant, you know, whatever to go find. We don't have to climb some mountain. We don't have to go swim across the ocean to find his word. It's right there. All we have to do is be in it and interact with it and watch it permeate through our being as we interact with this covenant. And then verse 15 says, See, I've set before you today life and good and death and evil. What I am commanding you to do, uh, what I'm commanding you today is to love Adonai your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his mitzvot, statutes, and ordinances. Then you will live and multiply, and Adonai your God will bless you in the land you are going to possess. Verse 19, I called the heavens and the earth to witness about you today, that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. By loving Adonai, your God, listening to his voice and clinging to him. We go forward to Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Messiah is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on Torah. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith speaks in, the, <clears throat> in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have this notion that it's some far off thing that people have to attain to. And a lot of times as believers, and I don't care if it's in Messianic Judaism or the, or the church, a lot of times as believers and the body of Messiah, we have this mentality that people have to become righteous before they can be saved. 
right? We go to what's often called unchurched people, and we're like, hey, your life's a total train wreck, and you're doing this wrong, and 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 you need to do all those things right so that you can come to the Lord. That's not how it works. The Lord says, you're doing this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong. You need to come to me so that you can do this right, and this right, and this right, and this right, and this right. Because none of the wrong is going to become right until what is dark in our lives is replaced with light. Until we choose life. Because the, the, the reality of the blessing and the, the, the uh, curses are very true and real. Whether we're talking the Torah-based idea of blessings and curses and walking in faithfulness to the Torah and seeing the benefits that come along with it or walking contrary to and seeing the curses that come along with it or we're talking salvation in which there is literally a blessing and a curse. The reality is the same. The Lord is crying out from heaven to each and every person who breathes the breath of life which is, in within, which is within us. That breath of life isn't some uh, majestic thing in the ethos that nobody really... It is the breath of God, whether we like to admit it or not, it's the breath of God within us. And God himself is crying out from heaven, I have laid before you at the foundations of creation blessing and curse, life and death. Choose life. The sad thing is often as believers, with our mouth we choose life, but with our lives we choose death. And as I said earlier, the word says that they will know our salvation by the fruit that we produce is your life producing fruit you go back to the blessings the blessings say when we're in faithfulness with the covenant of the Lord that our vineyards will produce that our trees will produce that our ground will produce and the harvest will always be great are you producing fruit did the words of the Lord fall on fallowed ground is your heart humbled have you come through the brokenness to find life? I'm a fervent believer that when we become truly and entirely sold out for the Lord, that His Shekinah, His divine glory radiates from us so fervently that our lives can do nothing but produce fruit. doesn't mean that we don't still have some personal aspect to be able to fall away from the Lord or to be able to sin or whatever. We absolutely can and do. But the light, light cannot be overcome by darkness. We spend day, on, uh, day in, hour upon hour, year upon year, arguing over Scripture. But how often do we truly let Scripture permeate through us? That whole idea of the new covenant talks about in Exodus uh, when the Lord calls Israel in Exodus 19, he says, I'm going to circumcise your heart. Deuteronomy 30, he says, I'm going to circumcise your heart. Yeshua says, and, and, and Paul says, it's not the circumcision of flesh that matters, but the circumcision of the heart. He says it over and over again because he means it. Jeremiah 31, 31 gives us the idea of what that circumcision of the heart truly is. When we come to faith in Messiah, our hearts are then rent. Our hearts are, are uh, completely cleaned. And then the presence of Yeshua himself resides within us. His words become etched on our heart. It's no longer just something that we read, but it's something that we breathe. Something that's a very real part of our lives, physically, tangibly a part of our lives. We go back to, uh, our, uh, to Isaiah 
The Haftorah this week actually begins traditionally with verse 10. <clears throat> but if you begin with verse 10, you realize it's way out of context, right? Uh, you remember how I told you Isaiah 53 is kind of hacked out of the seven messages of Isaiah. This week is the final message of the seven messages of Isaiah. This is the Shabbat that Yeshua stood before his home synagogue in Nazareth, Nazareth and was called up to the Bema to read from the Haftarah. And he comes up and he reads beginning with verse 1 of Isaiah 61. I believe that verses 1 through 9 were also hacked out of the Haftarot Porshot throughout these seven weeks because it points us directly to Messiah. And so with con uh, the concept in our heads of Messiah in our hearts and the promise of blessing and curse and the reality of God's command to choose life, verse 1 of uh, Isaiah 61, the very words that Yeshua read in his home synagogue, the Ruach of Adonai Elohim, the Spirit of the Lord, is on me because Adonai has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Adonai's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give the beauty for them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that the, they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Adonai, that he will be glorified. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore former desolations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations, which, by the way, is a promise of when we come out the other side of the curses and we return to the Lord, He will bring us home to rebuild our cities as He promises. Strangers will stand in shepherds and shepherd your flocks. Children of foreigners will be your plowmen and your vine, uh, vine dressers. But you will be called Kohanim of Adonai, priests of Adonai. They will speak of you as the ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations and boast in their abundance. Instead of your shame, double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will sing for joy. Therefore, in their land, they will inherit a double portion. They will have everlasting joy. For I, Adonai, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering and faithfulness. I will reward my people and cut an eternal covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations, their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will rejoice uh, will recognize them, for they are the seed that Adonai has blessed. And then it continues into verse 10, which is the beginning of the traditional reading. I will rejoice greatly in Adonai. My soul will be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in robes, a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom wearing a priestly turban, like a bride adorning herself uh, with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes things sown to spring up, so Adonai Elohim will cause justice and praise to spring up before all the nations. Notice when we take it in context, those last two or three verses start to make sense, right? They're connected with the earlier. They're connected with verse 1 that says, The Ruach Adonai Elohim is on me because Adonai has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Guess what? You and I are anointed to do as well, to take part in Yeshua's call to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim the Besor, the good news of Messiah Yeshua, to all we come into contact with. We cannot do that if we're wallowing in the curses. We cannot do that if we are outside of the covenant with the Lord. We cannot do that if we have not truly chosen life. You know what the contrary to choosing life is? Choosing death. Sadly, there's a lot of people out there that consider themselves to be believers because their parents took them to church. 
They consider themselves believers because at some point in their life, 20, 30 years ago, they said a repeat after me prayer. But their lives never changed. And they don't walk with the Lord. They don't try to share the good news with anyone. As a matter of fact, their lives are so contrary to the good news that nobody will ever see the fruit their lives could have and should have produced. Let us not be those people. Let us be people who walk in the promise and the blessing and the life that can only be found in the covenant blood atonement of Messiah. Let us recognize that our lives are not ours to waste. Our lives are the Lord's to use for His good and His purpose and His blessing unto others. Let us recognize that our lives are not to produce for ourselves, but rather to produce fruit for the kingdom. Let us recognize that a Messianic synagogue is not the only kind of congregation there is of believers in the world. We may be a little more right in my opinion, but that's a whole other story. But instead, we're part of a greater kingdom. It's not your kingdom or my kingdom. It's not my Chaim's kingdom. It is the Lord's kingdom. And it is our responsibility to join in unity with other believers who fervently want to see the world choose life. That we may be the light in this dark world that the darkness may not overcome the light. Let us walk in the covenant of good and faithful servants that when we get to heaven, we hear those words at the judgment throne. Well done, my good and faithful servant. As the graphic up there, I just saw somebody taking a picture of it, made me think about it still being up there. As the graphic shows, if you pay attention to it, it's kind of the image of a text uh, box on your cell phone when you're texting back and forth with somebody. And the Lord says uh, in Deuteronomy, I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse, curse, Therefore, choose life. What's your response going to be? That graphic shows there being a blank response being written. What is your response going to be? Will you choose life? Will you choose death? Choosing life also means choosing responsibility. Choosing life also means choosing being used by God for his kingdom and for others to find their way into his kingdom. Not just for our own comfort. Not as fire insurance. Choosing life isn't just a fire insurance plan. Choosing life is about wholeheartedly being sold out for the kingdom of God. Never walking in the curses again. Now the reality is, is we're still part of a fallen world. We're still going to find ourselves tripping into a curse here and there. But let us not have to come to the point of being completely broken in order to find our way back to him again. Amen. Abarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that you are a gracious and loving God, that you are in fact merciful, that you do in fact love us and cherish uh, having a relationship with us. Father, I thank you that you have given us a means for eternal and everlasting life in your presence. I thank you that you are a great and caring God, who wants nothing more than to uh, have your creation, the very embodiment of your breath in humanity, cry out upon your name for salvation. Father, I praise you that you have given us an opportunity to take part in your saving work. 
to take part in leading people to the blood atonement of Messiah, the mercy seat and your heavenly throne room. Father, I pray that you encourage us, that you uplift us because the days ahead are only getting harder. And the purpose you have placed us here is only becoming more and more fervent. Father, let us recognize that even in these dark days, there is a necessity and responsibility that we shine your light more fervently now than ever before, no matter what anybody thinks or says, no matter how they respond, that we shine your light brighter and brighter day in and day out. In the name of Yeshua, Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.